SMS SAFM now on 41391. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Discussing how colonial legacy has shaped urban nature and why we should be moving towards changing this is uh, Professor Michelle Cox, who's an associate professor in the anthropology department at Rhodes University. Thank you very much for joining us, Professor. No, thank you, Patricia. I feel honored to be invited this evening. Thank you. Now, there's a recent um, a book that has been co-published by yourselves um, titled Urban Nature Enriching Belonging, Wellbeing and Bioculture. Please tell us wh- how important and critical this particular book that you have published is to the way we are currently living in urban city- settings. Okay, the the book came about because of um, funding that I would got from the National Research Foundation. Um, and this was initiated about three, four years ago. Um, and the funding allowed us or provided um, access to funding to begin to explore people's relationships uh, that they had with nature within urban areas. And now this kind of study hadn't really uh, been done um, before, or particularly not in the South African context, and particularly amongst uh, more um, residents live, living in more marginal parts of our towns and cities. And the impression, you know, that was, that had been created was that Within these areas, there was just a need to provide uh, people living in those areas because they'd been deprived because of how um, during apartheid, you know, there was a shortage of land and access within these spaces. And post-94, the impression was created, well, in order to enhance living conditions within these areas, we would just need to provide more access to green spaces. But when we began um, looking into what people actually were um, aspiring for in terms of the types of green spaces that they uh, would feel more comfortable being in, it soon became apparent that the, the ways of thinking about nature within urban areas was very different to what city planners have been um, perpetuating. And as a result, uh, through many interviews and interactions with people um, living in the majority of um, small to medium-sized towns within the Eastern Cape, we soon learned, you know, that there's an there's a need for us to reconceptualize how nature is thought about within city areas. Um, and this then led us to also collaborate more um, with, uh, with researchers working in other parts of the world to also find out how these kinds of um, ideas were being um, explored within, within other um, particularly both within areas that had also been colonized, had been um, colonized, but also um, within more so-called Western developed 
countries where there are now many more migrant communities living. So our book actually attempts to portray the diversity of needs that urban residents actually have. Now, you know, um, uh, Professor Cox, as we are mm-hmm. looking at the issue of colonial legacy, if it mm-hmm. has indeed um, cha- shaped the way our urban settings are and town planning is still continuing in the same vein, does this also mm-hmm. not bring uh, to, to uh, our attention how those who have been moved to urban areas in, 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 in seeking better employment or education opportunities have actually yeah. ended up losing out on so much of their own cultural heritage and perhaps this is one of the things that should also be restored i mean i look at one of the stories um of of a young um a gentleman who's an urban resident in at sweetwater township um in yeah. in, in in the eastern cape who who now is able to grow amayeza which are their um, medicinal plants but Yes. Pre to this particular, you know, research and workings around urban um, areas becoming decolonized, so to say, he yeah. did not have this opportunity. So should we also not be looking at, you know, the adverse impact of the shaping? Yes. No, I can't emphasize that enough. I can't tell you the heart-rendering stories, you know, that we both captured amongst, you know, urban residents who we interviewed and how alienating many of them found, you know, um, because many of them have also been obviously forced to come into the city space because to seek more employment opportunities, but how that move, um, you know, how difficult it has been for them, both in terms of, in many instances, Incidences, many of them don't actually find the employment opportunities that they seek or seeking, but la- but still land up having to reside in the urban environment. And within that context, many of them find um, no place or places of comfort to go to, or places that attempt to enhance their sense of well-being. And as a result, you know, many feel so alienated within these urban environments because there is just so little that has meaning Mm. within these spaces. So this and, definitely needs mm. to be addressed. Uh, let me just remind our A-team is that we are talking about um, the colonial legacy that has shaped our urban, uh, you know, nature, the way things are done, the way planning is done in our cities. Perhaps you want to weigh in or give a comment or a question to our uh, Professor Michelle Cox, who is an associate professor in the ent- Anthropology Department at Rhodes University. You can call in on 011-714-2006 or SMS 41391. WhatsApps go to 0614-104-107. Professor, with regards to, you know, the urban planning and design, we, mm-hmm. we've been hearing a lot of talk uh, from a government around smart cities. Will these mm-hmm. smart cities take into consideration um, the research that you have done that we need to reshape our urban nature so that it is not um, still looking the way it is currently looking? I must admit, thus far, you know, when I've looked into um, the kinds of sentiments that are being expressed in those kinds of uh, documents and policies, I don't see attempts to 
to basically break the mold. There's just the same old is being emphasized. It's just about creating more green space. And I mean, even the concept of space is, in I find, inappropriate because when you look at what green space um, then materializes in it's still very much a, a colonial understanding because it invariably involves a park or um, a green lawn, you know, with a bench to sit. And yet, you know, it's not in any way inclusive of other cultural ways of of being within a natural environment. So, um, so when you talk about these smart cities, I don't find them attempting to be inclusive of a cultural diverse needs that raise it. You know that our urban areas now um, hold. And now that that will also bring me to the, the the question around what students are learning who are currently in tertiary education, uh, learning mm-hmm. town planning, are they still learning the colonial way of doing things, especially if our new smart cities are going to be just a replica, but perhaps um, a better uh, looking replica with a couple of green parks? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. is what, stu- what students are learning in the curricula in higher education around town planning relevant? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there is obviously a need for, um, and I mean, I don't want to just say all kinds of studies, but I mean, it, you know, it is also happening in other parts of the world. It's not only a problem within the South African context. It is, um, you know, and you can, once you start, engaging with that you can see there are attempts to be more inclusive but there are still it's still only within tiny pockets it's not become in any way a dominant narrative as yet okay so clearly we do need a change we do need a beautiful revolution when it comes to this i've got a a message here um it says Mm -hmm. um it's from uh Khalweni in Mount Frere, green space is even getting smaller in rural areas due to soil erosion. But natural infino grows um, and examples are Ulzomboi and uh, and others. So even mm-hmm. in the rural settings, there is need for some sort of conservation and planning. Yes, definitely. And I mean, even... Um, I have also done some work in rural areas and I, you know, even within that context, there is still not enough recognition to um, the way in which even um, rural residents are occupying places of nature. So, for example, you will also find within those contexts um, you know, particularly if there is then planned development or a change in land, um, uh, what can I say? You know, a change in 
in how the land is going to be used. It, it is often just seen as an empty space. But when you ask residents living within those villages what these natural spaces mean to them, you will find immense attachment um, and meaning to those spaces. But it's still very often simply perceived as, oh, it's either empty land or has no value. Yet it's deeply embedded in people's um, both their heritage or forms of identity and ability to carry out many um, cultural practices, you know, which rely on um, many indigenous plants and access to such spaces. It's not only just the resources found in them. You know, in many of these places, ancestors are believed to reside and people, you know, will go into those spaces to actually communicate with their ancestors. So, yeah, it's at very, you know, it's not only problematic within an urban space, it's even within rural areas that people, that there is a perception that because there's no, so, you know, not development or the land is not being productive, it's therefore of no value. Mm. Now, Avuya in Bloemfontein is asking, can we look at Ethiopian cities since it was never colonized? Um, looking, I mean, I'm thinking of Addis Ababa. It's, it's no different from any other city in, in Africa. Well, you see, it's not... It's, yeah, but the, it's still kind of the way of being within a city environment that... Um, has spread all around the world, if you know what I mean. So mm. even with that, in that kind of, con- you know, and then it has also through globalization, those kinds of ways of thinking have just spread all around the world. Um, yeah, so it's a very difficult um narrative to <laughs> to change yeah. but i mean yeah. it's if you know if we continue with this way of thinking it's always going to mean that a certain sector of the population or residents of these areas sense of um well-being and belonging within these spaces is not being included and inclusive Let's go to an A-team by Kondile on the line. Kondile, good evening. Mm-hmm. Good evening, madam, and to Professor, Professor Cox or Dr. Cox. My, my issue is, is around the, the densification in the urban areas and uh, an opportunity of claiming those spaces. It becomes difficult for, for, for urban spaces to be claimed, you know, because of... Uh, one, the economics thereof, people want to maximize, bring a, a development into a, one a space as a result of infrastructure and so. So my, 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 my view is that because of uh, the economies of development, you find it difficult to maintain green spaces to 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 especially in the in the urban areas but uh, 
Patricia, I would also want you moving forward to look at the spatial planning uh, generally. Because mm. for me, one of the critical things is that I don't see the 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 the, the spatial planning and uh, 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 the manner in which we are constructing it representative of uh, the continent. Mm-hmm. So it, I know for me it's a, it's a wide subject, and uh, maybe Professor Oaks might not be able to to untake it now. But it's something that moving forward I would want you to look into. But identification and economy are two uh, complex issues that uh, are contributing negatively into greening, uh, particularly in open spaces and the use of land generally. Thank you very much, uh, Kondile. I'll allow Professor to weigh in on this and definitely note it on the spatial planning. Um, mm-hmm. The team and I will make sure that we, we do um, get an expert to speak to us about it. Professor, can you weigh in on Kondile's uh, comment? Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, so many of these um, spaces uh, within urban areas are, you know, imposed or created by um, urban planners, authorities, with very little consultation. And as a result, you know, residents or communities or neighborhoods don't often feel that these places then belong to them. They've been imposed. And, you know, as a result, it then becomes... Uh, it doesn't become a place. It simply remains a space. And it, when there's no ownership of of a space, that is also when issues of um, maintaining them, you know, also becomes problematic. So for me, or, you know, our thinking is that they, these kinds of engagement, this a, a very strong need for a more consultative process that needs to happen within the designing of both uh, communities and at a neighborhood level. But I do also acknowledge or want to give recognition to the point being made, you know, that there's always going to be a conflict over um, the these spaces, you know, that shouldn't they be... Um, developed or yeah in that kind of context but what's important is if there is more participation and in or ownership being given at a community level i think those kinds of tensions will will lessen because community members will gain so much more from these spaces whereas now you know that sense of ownership doesn't really exist in many of our neighborhoods and so then it becomes easier or uh, for developers also to move into these kinds of spaces Mm. i hope that answers Well, definitely does answer, and it also gives us a solution or a way forward. So definitely needing um, community involvement in all of these things. Thank you so very much, Professor Cox, for joining us. No, pleasure. Thank you, and thank you again.
A-team is uh, the time is uh, 34 minutes after 10. We are going to be going into a social discussion, our Mindful Wednesdays, where we will be talking uh, this evening with uh, Billy Silikane, who is Africa's number one professional inspirational speaker. We are looking at mind and heart coherence, the foundation of a life being made epic.